book of James. We're going to jump back into James. And tonight, if you want to find your place, you can go to James chapter 3. That's where we'll begin in just a few moments. So the journey through James. And I want to tell you, I have really enjoyed and am enjoying the study of James. There's so much here. Now, who was James uh, next of kin, in a sense, that we've talked about? Jesus. He was Jesus' little brother. Some would call him a half-brother, of course, because uh, 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 Jesus was born of the Spirit through Mary. uh, And uh, so along comes little brother James. And if you remember little brother James, he and really a lot of his family didn't quite get it with Jesus, even though they knew he was different. They knew he was special. Now, this family is very spiritual. In fact, Mother Mary, uh, I'm telling you, she's a woman of faith. And if, gosh, if you go back to Mary and she said, be it unto me according to thy words, talking to the angels. Now, she was talking to angels and didn't seem to bother her a whole lot. Uh, it's like she's a pretty spiritual woman. Uh, and so this family was spiritual. But when, when Jesus began to grow and mature, and then when he entered into full-time ministry and he started saying he was God, that threw the family for a loop. Uh, and really, uh, I can't remember what gospel it is, but it says basically this. The family got together and we're going to have an intervention. They just thought he had lo- Jesus had lost his noodle. Uh, and, uh, and James was not a confessed believer uh, through the ministry of Jesus. But at the resurrection, things began to change. And very quickly after the resurrection, you know, Jesus, the resurrected Christ, spent time with the disciples and with, uh, with uh, kind of the early church there in Acts chapter 1, 40 days of intensive training and ministry. And then he was, uh, uh, he, he went to heaven and he said, hey, go to Jerusalem, wait for the promise of the Father. Uh, uh, and after the Holy Spirit's come upon you, receive power to be my witnesses, Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria, in the uttermost parts of the earth. And then we find James in the middle of Acts, which is the church, as the pastor, it seems, of the first century church in Jerusalem. So very quickly, he got into full-time ministry, uh, and, uh, and now we find him writing James, which many theologians believe was the first New Testament book actually penned by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, and he's writing it to the scattered, persecuted church. They've been scattered abroad, and, and uh, they're not scattered with their tails tucked, if you will, because the Bible says that the church was prospering. If you remember, the promise was there'd be witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria in the uttermost parts of the earth. Well, the church was growing and, it, and in fact, it exploding all over these areas. And, G, and, and James felt the need to write this letter to these new growing churches. So that's kind of the history. Now, uh, the theme is really a reference to our faith. And though not in your PowerPoint, the theme is the importance of developing a faith that works. Everyone say a faith that works. Not only for you, but through you. Everybody say not only for me, but through me. God wants your faith to not only work for you. And let me tell you something, the faith that God gives us, it's a gift of God. It'll work for us. This is the victory that overcomes the world, even our faith. How many of you know your faith will work if you'll put it to work? But your faith also needs to work through you. And James chapter 2 was a big part of that. And, and you know, through the years, there's been some real controversy about James chapter 2. I didn't mention it a whole lot because, you know, Paul the apostle, uh, he said, you're saved by faith alone. And then James, the brother of Jesus, came along and said, hey, you know, faith and works. Uh, and so we talked about that last night and, or pardon me, last week and realized that's not a contradiction of Scripture. He's talking to a different audience. You see, Paul was talking to people who, who were, were uh, legalists. They, they'd been following all the rules and now they got born again. And the only rule is, hey, you can obey the rules. Guess what? Jesus came to fulfill the rules and you're saved by grace. Uh, and, and it, that, that word liberated them from the legalism of the day. Now, James is talking to church members uh, who had gotten lackadaisical in ministry to a certain extent. And basically, he's calling them to get to work. And if you, sit, if you think you can sit around and say, I have faith and you have works. No, I'm going to show you faith by my works. It's a faith that works. 
It goes to work. In fact, how many of you know our, our, the ministry that flows through us is the evidence of the faith that is within us? So, uh, so that's the theme of the book. And now uh, we're going to jump into James 3. Uh, and as we do, let me say to you this. Uh, interesting insights about the book of James. Uh, it really parallels a lot with Proverbs. You read Proverbs. How many of you ever read a proverb a day? You should read a proverb a day. There's 31 and you can read a proverb every day and get through Proverbs. And it's just great truth. A lot of the Proverbs is about what? Wisdom from God. What did James start the book with? Anyone lack wisdom, let him ask of God. Then, uh, in fact, uh, the latter part of verse 3, he talks about the worldly wisdom and the wisdom of God in our life. And so there's a lot of parallels between Proverbs. In fact, uh, I, I'm not a deep enough theologian to know that James might not, may or may not have been able to read the book of Proverbs at the time. I think so. So, so we see a lot of parallels uh, and especially even about the topic that we're going to talk about tonight. And so with that in mind, I'm going to ask you to do something. If I'm, I'm going to ask everybody to do something. And will you trust me and just say, Pastor, I'll do, I'll do whatever you tell me to do tonight. How many of you, if, you, if you'll do that, just raise your hand. I'll trust you. I'll do whatever you do. Okay. Did I get everybody's hand? Let me just say, I'll do whatever you tell me to do tonight. Just lift your hand. I'll make sure everybody's going to do this. Okay. On the count of, th- on the count of three. I want you to stick out your tongue and just kind of hold it there for a minute. I, I didn't count yet. She's already. I'm ready. Uh, everybody go. Let me put my glasses on. I got to make sure. One, two, three. Okay, that's good enough. That's what we're talking about tonight. The tongue. Somebody say Hallelujah. Hallelujah. We're going to talk about the tongue tonight. James chapter 3, the tongue. And it's interesting. And as we'll see, I'm, I'm trying not to get into my notes before I get into my notes. But uh, how many of you know, if you're going to change the world, it starts pretty close to home. Think about it. Now, go back to the context of faith. This is just all kind of Pastor Sam's off-the-cuff introduction to James 3. How many of you know... Being born again is a process of believing God. But what did Romans say? If you confess with your mouth. How many of you know your words are powerful? And so James knew that, hey, if we're going to have a faith that works, we got to get that thing in line with the word and the will of God. Could I get a better amen? In fact, throughout Scripture... Jesus, the, Paul and others talk about the word of faith, which we, which we speak. In fact, what did Jesus teach? We have whatever we say, okay? You, you, say, you, you speak the words of faith. And so we get our, so, so getting our tongue in line with God and his purpose and plan, the words that come out of our mouth have a whole lot to do with fulfilling his kingdom purpose and, and being men and women of faith and having a faith that not only works for us, but works through us. In fact, uh, how many of you have ever been blessed by someone speaking a word of faith over your life? Amen. And just declaring it over you. Uh, in fact, uh, gosh, uh, I did that the other, God, I'm trying to remember. Somebody said, let's just speak a word of faith over them. I, uh, I can't remember, but we just declared the will of God over people's life. And so that's what James is addressing here when he jumps into James chapter three, uh, before, let me just, yeah, I got, to, I want you to whip over before I read James three. I want to show you, because we're going to talk about the tongue, and you've read James 3. Go to Proverbs chapter 12. I just want to show you uh, just the, the parallels uh, between Proverbs and James, especially in reference to the tongue. Proverbs chapter 12, verse 17 through 19. He who speaks truth declares righteousness, but a false witness deceit. There is one who speaks like the piercings of a sword. But the tongue of the wise promotes what? Health. The truthful lip shall be established forever. But a lying tongue is but for a moment. And so we see, uh, oh, and let me just throw in verse 20 because this will come in. You'll remember this at the end. Deceit is in the heart of those who devise 
evil, but counselor, but counselors of peace have joy. How many of you, well, I'm going to get to the end before I get there. I just wanted to read that to you. And so, and there's a lot more Proverbs 18, 21. You don't need to turn there, but how many, anybody know what Proverbs 18, 21 says? Oh, you got to memorize this tonight. Proverbs 18, 21 says death and life are in the power of the what? Tongue. Everyone say it. Proverbs 18, 21. And say, death and life are in the power of the tongue. And so when, when we jump into this, James, I believe, is echoing a ton of truth from, from, uh, from the Proverbs. There's a lot of parallels, wisdom and words and all those things. So here we go. I'm going to read all down through verse 12, and then we're going to come back, and we're going to kind of take it apart and put it back together. Here we go. Verse 1. My brethren, let not many of you become teachers knowing that we shall receive a stricter judgment. For we all stumble in many things. If anyone does not stumble in word, he is a perfect man, meaning a complete or a whole man. Not meaning perfection, but you know the meaning. Able to bridle the whole body. Now start digesting these statements. Indeed, we put bits in horses' mouths and they must obey, that they may obey us. And we turn their whole body. Look also at ships, although they are large and are driven by fierce winds, they are turned by a very small rudder wherever the pilot desires. Even so, the tongue is a little member and boasts great things. See how great a forest a little fire kindles. And the tongue is a fire, a world of iniquity. The tongue is, is set among our members that it defies the whole body, defiles the whole body, and sets on fire the course of nature, and it is set on fire by, everyone say hell. For every kind of beast and bird or reptile and, cr and creature of the sea is tamed and has been tamed by mankind. But no man can tame the tongue. It is an unruly evil full of deadly poison. With it we bless our God and Father and with it we curse men who are made in the likeness or the similitude of God. Out of the same mouth proceed blessing and cursing. My brethren, these things ought not to be or should not be so. Does a spring send forth fresh water and bitter from the same opening? <coughs> Pardon me. Can a fig tree, my brethren, bear olives or grape or a grapevine bear figs? Thus, no spring yields both salt water and fresh. And everyone said, Amen. Father, lead us through your word tonight and may our hearts be open to hear what you have to say in Jesus' name. One little intro commentary about verse one about the teacher before we get into the tongue. But I really believe this leads into, I believe James is addressing an issue here that there's a lot of people evidently wanting to jump up and tell somebody something and say something. Uh, but he kind of, with their words, how many of you know teachers use their words a lot, you know, okay. But look what he says in the beginning as he introduces this pretty in-depth teaching about the tongue. My brethren, let not many of you become teachers, knowing that we shall receive a stricter judgment. He says, for we all stumble in many ways. If any man does not stumble in word, he's a perfect man, able to bridle the whole body. So he says, okay, hey, everybody that wants to be a teacher, you need to understand something, that there's stricter judgment here. And, and we'll talk about that in a moment. But I want to begin with a... Uh, I mean, if you know... When you stand up and talk for God, you're representing him. You're communicating. And so I want to kind of throw, I'm not going to throw out this word teacher. I'm going to throw out communicator. Or, or I'm going to kind of, because we all are communicators. And we all are teachers on some level. How many of you parents know your teachers? And so James comes along, and I think it's primarily in the context of teaching in the church. But hey, this isn't applicable to all of us. Okay, uh, you need to, all you people that think you want to get up and, and, and begin to use your words to talk for God and represent Him, you need to understand there's stricter judgment on you. Now, when I first came into the pastoral ministry, this is funny now, but it hurt my feelings then. Uh, I grew up in an in a, in a environment of preaching, like, like, and I wasn't Pentecostal growing up, but I was Baptist, but really my, the, my roots are from from strong, bombastic preaching. And so I was the youth pastor and I cut my teeth on preaching with young people and the people in the old folks home. I'd go preach in the old folks home and I would, I learned on them and the young people. 
And hey, I guess it worked uh, because I, I still have a lot of the young people I preach to who still love me and thank me for my years of ministry. But, but uh, back, oh gosh, I was at Quitman as the associate pastor for six or so years. And then our pastor went to Fort Worth and birthed the church and I became the senior pastor. And so all of this is on me and I'm preaching like a wild man. Now, I don't know if this was the season that I did this, but back before they knew this drug would hurt you, uh, one of my members of my church said, Pastor, you need to go get some of that weight loss pills down in Lindale. It dropped the weight right off of you. I said, is it, is it good for you? He said, is it, is it bad for you? No, it's okay. I didn't know it was speed. So the preacher was speeding. I'm serious. I'm taking... I'm taking, there were two of them. One's supposed to get you up, one's supposed to bring, and they're supposed to balance out, you're supposed to lose weight. Well, I was just doping. That's all I, I didn't know that back then. But I'm a wild, you talk about, I thought it was the anointing. Man, I'm just, I'm just preaching like a wild man. And, and I was trying to impress my church. I'm the pastor now. You got to be anointed, you know. And so one Monday uh, after, you know, after church, I was all glorying in my church in the service. And, and uh, my custodian brought, we had bulletins that had note, you could write notes. And here was the note that he found on the chair. If you want to stay here and listen to all this screaming, go right ahead. I'm going to the car. And my, my custodian loved me so much he wanted me to see that. And man, it just pierced my heart. I felt terrible. Then I began to realize, man, I'm, I'm not communicating the heart of Jesus here. And, and God was merciful to me. Now, now I'm over the years, the maturity level is slowly catching up. And I hope people hear the voice of a father rather than the voice of a fiery young guy who's trying to impress somebody or who's speeding on drugs. I don't know what it was. It, it wasn't the Holy Ghost. And so just for the thought here, as he begins to talk about the tongue, he just wants to, he wants to jump in and say, Hey, let me warn you guys, you teachers, you communicators. And really, I think what he's saying, you're representing God and you're going to receive stricter judgment. Now understand Take my illustration for, for just a, a moment. How many of you know how you communicate and why you communicate is about as important as what you communicate? If you've got the, if you've got the what down pretty good, but the how and the why are all out of sync and you're misrepresenting God and your motives are wrong, God's serious about how we stand up and talk for him. And so he addresses that. And I wanted you to, I wanted you to catch that, that, hey, James is going, hey, all, hey, we're representatives of God in it. And, and because we're talking for him, there's a stricter judgment. I wonder why there's a stricter judgment. I just believe because we're, we lead his kids astray with the way or the methodology. How many of you know, uh, and, and you know what? I have made mistakes from the podium with my words. I will make more mistakes. But how many of you know, when you stand up and communicate and you say you're representing God, you better be representing God. Now, just a quick illustration. How many of you know Moses didn't go to the promised land, but he ended up in eternity with Jesus. So he did make it to heaven, uh, but he didn't get to the promised land. And the reason he didn't is because he misrepresented God in his way, the way he communicated. He, he misrepresented the, the, the mercy and the grace of God. And he, he, he also took the credit for miracles. You know, God said, speak to the rock the first or strike the rock the first time. The next time he said, speak to the rock. And Moses said, no, I'm striking it. I'm mad. And he struck the rock and he said, must I always be here to take care of you whiny kids. And you know what? He was under stricter judgment. And so our words are powerful. Everybody say our words are powerful. So 
he just, he, he throws that out and, and you know, uh, we're going to be, Hey, we're going to get stricter judgment by God. And I really, Hey, how many of you know by people, how many of you know, anytime you stand up, people are critiquing, they're critiquing. I mean, Hey, I, I did, or I didn't, I'm on, I, I don't believe it. I do believe it. Uh, you know, and, and uh, uh, so, uh, Hey, it's just a part of communicating for, for the, for the Lord and being a voice of God to this culture we live in. And so just a warning right up front to those who stand up and represent God with their words. And that is all of us on some level. And then he jumps into the tongue, James chapter three, verse three through 12. And here he makes a primary point. I want to give you the primary point. We've already read the verses, but here's the primary point. Little things have big power. Everybody say that little things have big power. Say it. Little things have big power. He's talking about the tongue and he gives illustration. He is illustrative. Everyone say he's illustrative. Now, I love this. You know, when I prepare messages, I try to be illustrative. You remember, do you remember how this, I think it was part number two of this series. I had an illustration. Anybody remember the illustration that I had? It's about hear the word, do the word. I had the bicycle. It's an illustration, right? It kind of helped you. You got to hear the word, do the word. I think that's what it was. Uh, and so you can't just hear the word because you're not going anywhere. You can't just, hey, I'm just going to do the word because you got to have both. Hear the, everybody say, hear the word, do the word. It's an illustration. James was an illustrated preacher. In, the t- in fact, he draws these pictures. I wonder where he got that from. Have you read the Gospels? Have you read the red? I said, have you read the red? Jesus, his older brother, man, he's always, well, look at this tree. Let me tell you about this tree right here. Oh, you see these seeds? Let's talk about these seeds. Woo-hoo, seeds. That's the word of God. Jesus was always illustrate. Help me, this bread. Let me, let me show you about this bread. You know, this bread is not just bread. I, it, this is me. I'm breaking the bread. He was always illustrating to make a point. He was, Jesus was always telling parables, which is, it's a short story to, to, to <coughs> teach a big overarching truth. And though, though James was not a follower of Jesus, how many of you know Jesus was always talking uh, and speaking the word? And so undoubtedly, James had developed illustrative communicative skills by listening to his brother and potentially Peter and others who had been, who, who followed Jesus. So here he goes. He uses three, uh, he uses three things, uh, uh, to illustrate this, the power of the tongue and make this primary point that little things have big power. He uses the bit, the rudder and the spark. Everyone say the bit, the rudder and the spark. Say it again. The bit, the rudder, and the spark. So he doesn't use one illustration. He uses three. How many of you know when you repeat yourself and you use three illustrations around one point, you're trying to get something across and he's trying to get across to us and to the churches that were scattered all throughout uh, the region that listen, your tongue is a little member, but it has huge implications in your life. And so he illustrates it. It's the bit. Uh, any equestrians in the house? Anybody know what an equestrian is? Uh, yeah, it's a one who knows about horses. I'm not a, I'm not an equestrian. I, close, the, the closest I am to being an equestrian is touching the little nostrils that I thought are really cool. Or, you know, those little flappy things. I just, but I'm, I've probably ridden a horse once or twice in my life. I'll never forget. Uh, I took... Uh, Randy to uh, a men's retreat at Destiny Church, by the way, Randy Miller, and uh, they had horses. I said, Randy, we got to ride the horses. He's okay. So that we're riding and we're getting on horses. Now, this was probably 10 years ago. Randy Miller says, I've never been on a horse. I said, R.L. Miller, you've never been on a horse. He wasn't an equestrian either. Uh, and uh, uh, so here, evidently in Jesus day, horses were a pretty good illustration and he uses the bit. And these horses are wild. He said, you take a horse that is untrained and wild. He, what does he say here about the bit? 
He said, indeed. Uh, well, he kind of starts in verse two where he says, he's a perfect man able to bridle the whole body. There's his intro to this illustration about little things have big power. He's talking about the tongue. Indeed, we put bits in the horse's mouth that they may obey us and we turn their whole body. You know, these wild horses, as they put this little bit in there and the person who's riding them, as they are trained, you just pull it a little and they know, oh, we're going left. You pull it a little, oh, we know we're going right. Oh, you pull both. Ooh. You know, this, this horse learns pretty quick, this little bitty piece of metal across his mouth guides this huge horse who has, you've heard of horsepower, who has horsepower and this little bit turns that huge horse wherever which way it needs to go. And this little bit takes a wild untamed horse and makes him useful for his master. Now, that illustration is neither positive nor negative. Now, the third one, he's going to give you some negative. But he's making this illustration about the tongue. It's a small thing, but its influence is, is unbelievably huge in your life. Okay? Everybody say, I got it. All right, here we go. And then the next one, the rudder. It's very small. When you think of these big, huge ships, the rudder is, is out of sight, not out of mind, but out of sight in a very small part of the huge ship. It takes the ship, whichever way, look what it says here. He says, look also at ships. This sounds like Jesus to me. Doesn't that kind of sound? Hey, look at this. He said, get this picture in your mind. He said, look at the ships. All they are, all the, Although they are so large and are driven by fierce winds, they are turned by a very small rudder wherever the pilot desires. Then he says, even so the tongue, well, he goes into the next illustration. But uh, hey, this is before any of our time. But in 1940, Nazi Germany built and commissioned the Bismarck. Everyone ever, it's a, it was a huge battleship. Anybody remember, you probably heard it in your history books, the Bismarck. 1940, it was the most technologically advanced ship uh, ever in the history of the world at that time. It was the biggest battleship in the history of the world, the Nazis. And they had designed it. It was the Bismarck. And how many of you know, kind of like the Titanic, I'm sure they thought, man, we have got the ultimate fighting machine. And so uh, the Bismarck was commissioned 1940. In May of 1941, the Royal uh, Navy, I suppose, was in a battle with the Bismarck. And they were shooting back and forth and the battle raged uh, uh, for some time. And though the Royal Navy did not know it, there was a flaw and a weakness in this huge technologically advanced ship. The rudder was openly exposed underneath to attack. And a torpedo in the middle of all this inadvertently tagged and damaged the rudder of this huge ship. And now this huge technological mean fighting machine was, as they say, dead in the water. Because the little rudder could no longer work and the ship could no longer navigate and the Royal Navy eventually won. And so think about the Nazis. That ship had been in the water about a year when its weakness caused its demise. Now, here again, this illustration is neither positive nor negative. What's he saying? He's saying, understand something about the tongue. Your little tongue has great influence. And I'll say it this way, either for good or for bad. How many of you know that to be true? Okay. And so, uh, it's, it, it, and you know what? If we're not careful, just like that rudder on the Bismarck, our tongue can be attacked by the enemy and our life goes dead in the water. Are you with me? Say amen. And then he uses the spark. Now he's going for the kill. Now, now the illustration 
it's like, it's like James is going, okay, I'm setting you up to get you this truth. Big, uh, hey, little things have big influence. Your tongue, though small, has great power and influence in your life. Oh, now, here we go. Let me just bring down to what we really want to talk about. Can we talk here about the spark? And he says this. He says this. Even so, the tongue is a little member and boasts great things. See how great a forest fire, a forest, a little fire kindles. And the tongue is a fire. And now he's, he's showing you a world of what? Iniquity. The tongue is so set among our members that it defiles the whole body, sets on fire the course of nature, and it is set on fire by hell. Now, wow. Now he's, you know, I can just see the readers going, oh man, this is great teaching. He, you know, the, 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 the bridle, that's so cool, man. That's a great illustration, James. Man, the rudder of the ship. Oh, man, that's great truth. The spark. Oh, ooh, ah. You mean my tongue can set on fire this world with hellfire? It's a world of iniquity. I mean, you know, that's a set them up. It kind of, uh, you know, he's get, he's, he's casting and then all of a sudden setting the hook and man. This spark illustration is huge. Bringing to the forefront the power of our tongue in the negative sense. Okay? And so, uh, it, you know, a little spark, he's saying, can be a big problem. Now, one illustration years ago when we were uh, li- still living in equipment at our lake house, I have a little wood burning stove. And in the wintertime, that's the coolest thing, heat my whole house with that wood burning stove. Well, I had one more fire before the, it was like the late spring, had a little cold front, kind of like we've had. And I said, oh, we get to use the fire again. So we heated the house a little more. And then, uh, you know, after a a few days, it was two or three days, you know, it warmed up. And I said, okay, I'm going to clean out the the fire, uh, the, the wood burning stove and clean it up for the year. And, and so I got my little bucket, my little, and I scooped out all the ashes and we have a little spot out by the, our, our lake house has a pasture next to it where they cut hay. And so, uh, I took it out to my little dump spot where I do ashes and, and, and we, we'd put kind of like a compost pile. And so I put it out there. Two days later, I'm in bed. It's the middle of the night and I, in my, I just, have you ever woke, awakened with something alarming on, you just, I just woke up in the middle of the night and I looked, opened my eyes and it was kind of a moonlit night a little bit, but I saw on my wall, the reflection of fire just on my wall. And I, I knew immediately something is on fire. And I jumped up and looked out the, and that, the, where I had put those ashes, the wind had picked up. And evidently, deep within those ashes, a four or five day old ember, a little spark, a little cold that I never noticed. The wind blew through there and that dead grass and that pasture, which was, uh, it was dead about this high grass. It had got the pasture and it was, the wind was blowing. There was about 40 bales of the big round hay over on the, on the fence. And it was, and it was heading to the neighbor's house and Beverly and I jumped up and tried the water hose didn't reach and it was too late. Called the fire department. It got the bales of hay. Our neighbors were saved. And I, when I got back to my bed, I said, whoa. How great a forest fire a little spark kindles. Man. And that's what James is trying to draw in the negative sense about the power of our words and how much influence they have in the world. Uh, in fact, where did he learn this? His big brother Jesus. How many of you know Jesus talked more about hell and heaven than any other topic? He did. He talked a lot about hell. Now, here's what James says about, about these words. He says, our words 
It says, it sets on fire the course of nature, and it is set on fire by hell. Now, that word hell in the Greek is Gehenna. Everyone say Gehenna. Now, he's drawing another picture here with the word hell. We think of hell. What do we think of? We think of our best understanding of, you know, a place where there's weeping and gnashing of teeth and a worm dieth not and all those things. And, you know, uh, uh, you know we think of that just the torment, the best we can picture. Well, in Jesus' day and in James' day, they had a very clear picture. Now, let me explain. Outside of Jerusalem, there was a place called Hinnom. It was the, it was the Valley of Hinnom, and that was a guy's name. Uh, and for some reason or another, uh, even back in, in the Old Testament times, you remember uh, the God of Molech? They would sacrifice children, and it was just, it was an immoral, uh, false God worship uh, Molech, and they would, and, and this type of, in fact, I think in Second Kings, they talk about this valley of Hinnom, uh, where, where they worshipped the god of Molech, and there was, there was immorality, ungodliness, all manner of un, unholy activity, child sacrifice. How many of you know it, it was terrible? Well, in Jerusalem, the religious and the righteous did not like that. And so what they decided, that's going to become our dump ground. We're taking all our trash there. And that became the city dump. And it stayed on fire 24-7. And this place that became the trash dump became known as a picture of hell. Where all evil and terrible atrocity exists, where the fire burnt and in, in Jerusalem at any given point, especially when the wind would blow towards them, they could even smell it. But they it burned twenty four seven. Everybody's always there's no dump, there's no trash men come and haul it off and bury it somewhere. They're burning it, and it's out there burning. And it became in the eyes of people, and really it became symbolic of what hell was like. And here's what James says. I know you guys are all scattered, but do you remember Gehenna? Oh, that's terrible. That's where your words are coming from. Word picture, illustration. And it just kind of makes it a little more real to you when you realize, he said, that's the power of of your words. It's like you're, you allowed Gehenna to invade your world. And with your words, you're setting things on fire with the fires of Gehenna, with the fires of hell. Now, let me ask you this question. Has anyone ever set you on fire with their words? That's what he says you do. With these hellish words, these little spark that, come on, be honest. Has anybody with their words ever, ever set you on fire with that, with Gehenna's vomit? Absolutely. And let me just ask, let's be honest. How many of you, and though I don't want to, I don't want to stir up, you know, I don't want to have to give you counseling session tonight, but how many of you, some of those issues where people's words so impacted your life, it, it, still, it could have happened years ago, but it still impacts you today. Those hellish words. Now, I have to be careful here. And I'm going to defer back to James. Because James throws this out. I went past it, but I'm going to come back to it in verse 2. For we all stumble in many things. If any man doesn't stumble in word, he's a perfect or mature man and able to bridle the whole body. Now let me, I'm going to raise my hand up first as I ask this question. How many of you have ever set anybody else on fire with the Gehenna's hellfire words? Absolutely. Now, did you know that words... In, in a point of conflict are our first line of defense, right? And here comes James. 
And he says, listen, this little thing called your tongue has huge power either to move your life in the right direction or move your life in the wrong direction or to bless or curse. And what's he say? Now, you know what he said. He said, no man can. He said, we can tame every animal on the planet. I saw uh, uh, Ron Hammond's son-in-law, who's uh, Jake Porter, who's there. He's in the military. I saw, they were on vacation. I saw a picture of Jake on Facebook. There's a big tiger, Bengal tiger, laying down. And Jake is down kind of at the end of the tiger. And the tiger's kind of kind of laying on Jake. And Jake's reading a book. I want to know the story. But what, what that tiger was tame. He tamed the tiger. But here James says, no man can tame the tongue. So what are in the world? Everybody said, well, what in the world are we going to do? If we can't tame the tongue, what are we going to do? Well, here, I'm going to come, come at it from this way with you. And I'm going to help you a little bit uh, uh, as we look in verse 8 and through verse 12 and talk about the hypocritical heart. Because here's, he's saying to all of us, to himself, and, and I go back to that verse 2 again. Hey, we all have stumbled in this, in this way. And we've all been hypocritical in our life because he starts illustrating the hypocrisy of the church when it comes to our words and our actions. And here's what he says. And, and this is his, this is his kind of concluding remarks about, hey, the hypocrisy. Uh, he says this, oh, uh, mm, verse seven, I just quoted for every kind of beast and bird or reptile and creature of the sea is tamed and has been tamed by mankind, but no man can tame the tongue. Everyone say, no man can tame the tongue. It is an unruly evil full of deadly poison. Now, here's, the, here's he starts drawing the hypocrisy. And, and you know what? I'm sure for those that were, that were in full-blown hypocritical mode with their words, this was very convicting. He said, with it we bless our God and Father, and with it we curse men who are made in the similitude, similitude or likeness of God. So we bless God with one word, and then we curse our brother. That's hypocritical, he's saying. And then he says, out of the same mouth proceed blessing and cursing. My brethren, these things ought not to be so. Does a spring send, here's another illustration. Does a spring send forth fresh water and bitter for the same opening? Uh, the answer is, of course not. Can a fig tree, my brethren, bear olives or grapevine bear figs? The answer is, of course not. He's asking questions that everybody knows the answer to. And what he's trying to get illustrate is this hypocritical uh, uh, lifestyle that is made manifest by our our hellish words, it's hypocritical. He says, Can a, he said, thus no spring yields both salt water and fresh. And he exposes the hypocrisy of all of us at some point in our life. Because all of us at some point in our life have fallen prey. We've stumbled in our words. And James comes along and he's talking to these churches and these church leaders and he's saying, listen guys, if you're gonna, if you're gonna have a faith that works, if you're gonna have a faith that works for you and through you, you gotta understand the power of your tongue, either for good or for evil. Death and life are in the power of the tongue. You have the power with your tongue to speak hellish, uh, uh, cursings, Gehenna, Fire from your mouth, or you have the power to speak blessing. And this hypocrisy of both has got to go. So with that in mind, let's talk about the hypocritical heart. Uh, and let me just make some statements. The mouth is a revelation of the heart. What's coming out of your mouth 
reveals what's in your heart. Now, let's go to the words of Jesus, Luke chapter 6. Let's go there. Everybody go there. Luke chapter 6. Luke 6, 45. A good man, this is the red words, a good man out of the good treasure of his heart, everyone say treasure of his heart. A good man out of the good treasure of his heart brings forth good. An evil man out of the evil treasure of his heart brings forth what? Evil. Now, here, here's where he brings it down to us. For out of the abundance of the heart, the what? The mouth speaks. Everyone's, and, and this is what Jesus said. Undoubtedly, James had been influenced by what Jesus said. In context, in the context of the power of your words. He said, out of the abundance of the heart, a good man out of the good treasure of heart, he brings forth what's good. An evil man out of the evil treasure of heart brings forth evil. How does he do that? Out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. The mouth is a revealer of what's in the heart. Have you ever met anybody who, who they're always speaking negative? They just, you know, it's just... It's just negative, 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 negative. Or it's just bad, 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 bad. Everything's bad. You know, it's getting worse. And you just, man, you just, uh, you know, you just, come on. It, it's, 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 where's that coming from? Their heart. Out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. Now, James just said, no man can tame the tongue. Now, the reason no man can tame the tongue is because the tongue is not the issue. It's what's in the heart that affects the tongue. Are you with me? Now, and so the source of our hypocrisy is our heart. You get it? And here it is. The tongue is the fruit. The heart is the root. What comes out of your mouth is just the fruit of what's inside your heart or our heart, my heart. I'm going to go back to that verse again. We all stumble in many ways. I got to be careful. Hey, I, I got stricter judgment. I don't want to act like this is big eye little you like we talked about last time. Hey, uh, we all have issues with this little thing that has big influence in our life. And I'm telling you today, this very day, I have to do mental calisthenics with my tongue. Don't say that. That's not going to do any good. Now, have I tamed my tongue? No, I'm working on my heart. Because the tongue is just the fruit. It's, it's like, it's trying, it's, trying, it's trying to like kill the messenger. I mean, the tongue is, you know, cut out your tongue. How many of you know? It's not cut out your tongue. In fact, when Jesus said, if this, if your hand offends you, cut it off. Uh, how many of you know he wasn't talking about maiming your body? He was talking about the, the necessity of dealing with the issues of your life in a very real fashion. So, so the reality, James, is true. You can't tame your tongue, but you can deal with what's in your heart. You can change your heart. Your heart can be changed, and as a result, what comes out of your mouth is changed. Everyone say, the tongue is the fruit. The heart is the root. Now, I'm going to show you two passages of Scripture to kind of help us all. Everybody say, Lord, help us all. <laughs> help us all, Lord. Help us all. Because listen, if we're going to change the world, it begins in really close to home with what's inside our heart. If we're going to communicate truth, we've got to communicate it righteously and, and reverently and, 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 and lovingly with the power of our words for, for good. I think of some, how many of you can remember some statements, you know, that great leaders have made? Here's one that if I had time to tell you the story, in fact, you go Google it about the speech where Reagan stood at the, at the wall and he said, Gorbachev, tear down this wall. 
You've got to Google the story because there was great controversy over a little speechwriter who threw that in because he knew the heart of, of Reagan. He knew that was Reagan's heart. This is a true story. I'm going to tell him anyway, a little bit of it. And he put it in there. And they, Colin Powell, they said, you cannot do that there. You cannot say that there. And there was great controversy. And, and so don't do it. You know, just don't say it. And he got up and out of his heart, he said it. And it changed the whole world with that statement. Gorbachev teared down this wall. And I don't know the exact timing, but within a very short time, the wall came tumbling down. Power of words. It's important. Amen. So with that in mind, let me give you two verses. Turn to Psalms 139. Psalm 139. Psalm 139, verse 23 and 24, the last two verses. He says this, David, search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my anxiety. And see if there is any wicked way in me. And lead me in the way everlasting. Now, we can't tame our tongue. But we can pray these kind of prayers. And I love, you know, because I'm sermonic. I don't even know if that's a word. Somebody could Google it. It's my new word. We'll put it in Wikipedia. Pastor's dictionary of made up words. It just, it just, let me just say, after you've done this so long, they just pop out at me like, like a, just like, you know, I see it, I see it. And three thoughts, three things David said in this two verses. When he, he said, search me. That word search means penetrate. And examine intimately. Ooh, we don't want too many people examining intimately what's on the inside of our heart. How many of you? How many? How many of you'd appreciate it if I had the power to do your PowerPoint sermon of all the things that are in your heart? Oh no, no. How many of Jesus has the PowerPoint? He has the notes of what's in our heart. He's got the big points, the little points. He knows it all. And David knew that. And he just said, penetrate my heart, examine intimately and know my heart. And then after he says, search me, then he said, try me. Everyone say, try me. That, that word try means to test. Now, I love this one. To investigate. He's talking about what's on the inside of my heart. And, here, and here's kind of the expanded thought of try me. Test, investigate, get to the root of the problem. Get to the root of the problem. And then he says this, lead me. Guide, govern, straighten. And even transport me, pick me up and take me into the way everlasting. In other words, I'm totally dependent upon you when it comes to the inner recesses of my heart. Search me. Everyone say, search me. Everyone say, try me. And everybody say, lead me. Man, all I'll say about that verse is just meditate on that a while. And just pray those kind of prayers. Because if you got problems with what's coming out of your mouth, or if we got problems coming, I'm trying to stay in, in this because I, I do. Then you say, God, look in my heart. Search me. Penetrate down deep. Examine me closely and intimately. Test me. Investigate. Get to the root of the problem. 
Why am I hypocritical with my way I talk and the way I act and the way? Why, why do I bless God with one voice and curse man with the other? We've got to get to the root of the problem. It's what's in our heart. And lead me. In other words, hey, without you governing and guiding, and in fact, that lead means to straighten me out. Straighten this old crooked stick out. Straighten out what's in there. That's a powerful verse. And then one more, and we'll close. Galatians chapter 5. Galatians chapter 5 is what this passage is concerning the fruit of the Spirit. Paul's talking to the Galatians about walking in the Spirit, not in the flesh. And he outlines the works of the flesh in verse 19 through 21. And then verse 22, he says, but, in other words, conversely, the fruit of the Spirit, big S, talking about the Holy Spirit, is love, joy, peace. How many of you know these are all attitudes of the heart? The Spirit of God wants to work over our heart. And give us God's heart. In fact, a lot of Old Testament passages where, where they, they talked about uh, our, the hard heart and, and just cut my heart out. Give me a new heart. i got to have a new heart. And, and he says, the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness. And catch the verse, the last, but certainly not least, self-control. Everyone say self-control. Now, I'll give you a little elongated understanding of that. The fruit of the spirit of self-control is not in the limited sense what you would think. I, I can control myself by the power of the Holy Ghost. It, that certainly applies. But the elongated Pastor Sam definition of self-control is the ability to apply the strength of, and power of God to your life at any given point, in any given circumstance, under any given situation. The capacity to tap into God and His strength, in kratia, His strength, at any given time, for any given purpose, under any given circumstance. And that produces within you the capacity to be under the control and influence of the power and presence of God in your life. It's a fruit. It doesn't pop up like a gift. It's a fruit. I'm still growing that fruit. That's why now I can at least have an internal conversation with myself before I embarrass myself and hurt somebody with my words. Now, how many of you know our words are powerful? And we've got to let God clean up our hearts and create. David said this in Psalm 51, created me a clean heart. And that word creates the same as in Genesis chapter 1 where it says God created the heavens and the earth. And that means he made something from nothing. David said in his heart, there is nothing in me good. You're going to have to create a clean heart in my My heart is, how many of you know the heart of man, the Bible says, is exceedingly wicked. So we got heart issues that affect our words. We all stumble in many ways. But if we can learn to gather the care and compassion of Christ to work over our heart to where our heart is filled with what is good, righteous, and holy, our words will be a blessing and not a cursing. And the character of Christ is made manifest in and through us. Did you ever 
Did you ever see Jesus speaking bad words? He knew the power of his words. His words healed and brought hope and conviction. Amen. Well, bless the Lord. Let's stand up together. That's a powerful journey through James in reference to our words. Father, tonight we, we join in with David in Psalm 39 and we say, search us, try us, lead us. Search me, O God. Try me, O God. Lead me, O God. I give you my heart, Lord. And I ask you to cleanse my heart. Wash me. Let my heart be your heart. And Lord, I yield to the Holy Ghost. We yield to the Holy Spirit. To control us. And to empower us. And to develop within us the character of Christ and the heart of Jesus. And develop within us self-control, the capacity to apply the strength of God and the power of God to our lives in any given area, under any given circumstance, in any given situation. In Jesus' name. Everybody said amen.